Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to the Daily Home Edit, the podcast from the team at Home Beautiful magazine. I'm Sarah Berman. I'm the editor of the magazine where I've worked for over a decade and in that time I've had the great pleasure to cross paths with today's guest, a published author of many books including the travel memoir Are We There Yet? A magazine feature writer, columnist and even sub-editor for titles including GQ, Home Beautiful and Gourmet Traveller, a stand-up comedian with sell-out shows including Finding Chemo, a grooming blogger at The Influencer. And the writer of Home Beautiful's most beloved page, Unsung Icons. Welcome to the HB studio, David Smead. Thank you for having me. <laughs> One thing I have to mention to David is that you are the proud father to two adorable pups. Yes, yes, I have two spoodles. <laughs> uh, their names are Barry and Maureen. Full names, please. And Barry Crocker Spaniel <laughs> is his full name. And then when Maureen came along... Um, she had to get a name of a similar vintage, so Barry and Maureen. And as the years have passed, Barry's are now almost 15, we've developed a whole backstory to them. So uh, they, they live in a caravan park in the Shoalhaven. <laughs> of course. And uh, Barry was a uh, very a long-time employee of the ANZ Bank in Kayama, and he retired after many years of service. And they didn't move too far out of the area, but they, they, live, uh, they live a very contented life in the caravan park. But there was an incident at a Christmas party that no one talks about. <laughs> does Maureen enjoy a trip to the local RSL? Oh, she she does, <laughs> but you have to be a bit careful because uh, after one or two sherries, Maureen can get a little racist when drunk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Well, good to know. And I believe that Barry and Maureen are regular fixtures around the inner west. Lots of people know that. Oh, yes, they, yes. they are. We, uh, we They get treats up and down various <laughs> retail strips. Uh, but the lovely thing that I, I in, enjoy doing most with Barry and Maureen is we do pets as therapy at a local hospital where they go in and sit in the lobby and anyone who wants to have a cuddle with them, be they patients or support staff or family members, uh, can come down. And it's a, a, a bit of volunteering unofficially, but it's something I find very fulfilling. Oh, that sounds really lovely. Barry's actually, he gives a good cuddle, I Oh, they, I remember. they both yeah. love a cuddle. <laughs> and uh, they, uh, they, they kind of grow into the role. It's almost like uh, you don't want to anthropomorphise too much, but they, I think they'll enjoy being there. <laughs> That's great. Uh, now, David, before we go a little deeper into all of the many, many things that you do and have done, let's talk a bit about Unsung Icons, which is the page that you write for Home Beautiful. For those who might not have had the pleasure, can you describe what the page is all about? Oh, this is one of the things I've written probably for longer than anything else in my career. And it celebrates all those things we grew up with that may have come back into fashion, may have faded out of fashion. But we all have great memories of things like, you know, your above ground pool, uh, your, your fondue set, your rotisserie okay. chicken, uh, macrame plants, hangers, all those things that, that, that formed a part of our childhood. Sometimes we want to airbrush them out of our memories, <laughs> but sometimes we don't. I think that they, they need to be 
celebrated and, and viewed for for uh, the reflection they give us back at ourselves and our homes and quite often our, our pretensions at the time. <laughs> so true. Um, David, you do a wonderful job of bringing these icons of Australiana to life, but what people might not realise from your accent is that you were not born and bred Australian. No, I, I, I grew up in South Africa uh, during the... Uh, the 70s and 80s, but the more I write the column, the more things I find that we have in common in terms of our, our various lifestyles and certainly uh, the climate and our aesthetics. I didn't grow up with the Asian influence that Australians have, uh, you know, you you Balinese gardens, uh, indoor-outdoor rooms, etc. but I've been here long enough to, to take them on board. And certainly some of those trends that were um, icons in Australian life were worldwide, there's oh, no doubt. Ab- oh, yeah. absolutely. Uh, th- things like uh, the Trechikov paintings, which is one of my favourites. Uh, oh, which mine is too. I the, forgot the, about the that The Green one. Girl. Uh, <laughs> and then we all had uh, this, uh, this, this painting in our house. Sometimes, if they were very special, they were done on black velvet. <laughs> and, uh, and it was this, uh, this very kind of nubile, very Asian-esque kind of woman uh, wearing uh, a traditional, uh, uh, I think it's a Viet- Vietnamese high-collared dress, and uh, it was something that we all kind of grew up with, these paintings. Um, the fact that she was a, a shade of jade never never was commented. <laughs> no. She looked very ill. She needed to go to hospital. <laughs> she did. She didn't look well. No. But, yeah, everybody had one of those, or you knew somebody who had one, and that's what made it one of those icons. That Absolutely. We and they were, she was often positioned near the home bar. <laughs> yes. So the, 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 the bar that, the, that had the bamboo fascia front, and she was at the back. And uh, if your dad was especially fancy, he'd offer to make you a drink like a Mai Tai or a zombie. What's a zombie? I don't even know. Oh, a zombie is a drink that was very popular around the tiki bar time of things. Right, yes. And uh, it was called a zombie because you apparently remained quite eloquent. You could do a whole sentence. But when you got up from the bar stool, you walked like someone from out of The Walking Dead. Hence the expression, a zombie. <laughs> oh, perfect. I need to get one of those. I need to have one of those Many on types of rum. Party. Many types of rum. So uh, another thing I suspect um, in in your ability to channel these Australian icons is that you have a little help. Uh, maybe somebody called Jenny. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So 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 my wife uh, is my sounding board in all things. Uh, she's also genuinely funnier than I am, and which is you'll find a lot of the cases of comedians' partners are the, actually the funny ones. So I'm all about quantity, uh, and some of my jokes will work, whereas she's all about quality and all of her jokes will work. And I'll give you an example. Uh, I'm the youngest in my family. Uh, there are no grandchildren. And a few years ago, we were at my mum's place for dinner. And uh, she said to Jenny, the only thing that would make me happy at this point in my life would be a new baby. And Jenny said to my mum, do you think your body could handle a new baby? <laughs> She's the funny one. She's good. She's good. Uh, so the page, the Unsung Icons page, to bring us back to that just briefly, is illustrated by tremendously talented illustrator Matt Cosgrove, um, who we've also had in on the podcast recently. Um, he's more widely now known as the author of the Macca, the Alpaca Picture Books. But how integral do you think that illustration is to the page as we know it today? Oh, absolutely. It's uh, the, the combination of our, our respective inputs is definitely greater than the sum of the parts. 
He has made me look funnier than I actually am, <laughs> and I've helped him shift a lot of units in the in the in the uh, in the children's book area. <laughs> Having no kids myself and not knowing many, I find that I'm going to take some credit for that entirely. But uh, Matt's input definitely is something that would uh, it lifts the page into a new dimension. I'm so grateful that we get to collaborate on it. When I listened to the podcast that um, he recorded recently with Katrina O'Brien, our managing editor, he described. Um, his process of illustration is the the images popping into his head like fireworks. And I feel like that when I read the icons page and I imagine it's the same for him when he gets the copy. It's that it's like, it's so you're writing your um, incredible words and the, the stories that you create on that page. They do just really bring it to life in an amazing way. And then he just brings this incredible talent to the page as well. And well, he's got uh, more of the challenge I find because he's entirely working visually Whereas I, whereas I can look back at a certain memory or object and go, what did it sound like? What did it taste like? What did it smell like? Mm. So I think I've almost got the easier role there, whereas <laughs> Matt can only work in the, in the, in the what did it look like field. But I, there's definitely lots of inspiration for him there in your words and the great little anecdotes that you tell with your imaginary characters, which may or may not be you. Oh, no, they're, al- <laughs> <laughs> they're always me. Whenever, yeah. whenever, whenever you, a teenage boy pops whenever up, Whenever a David. teenage boy, <laughs> you know, ha- ha- has a passion to back shed and back sheds with some of the scariest places on the planet, by the way, <laughs> yes. but it was the only place you could have a conversation. Or whenever a teenage boy was just dying to ask a girl out to the year 10 formal and he had to take the phone on the extension cord into the broom cupboard to do it. That, yeah, Always me. That was you. Um, so you have a very broad range of experience, which I touched on in the intro, but I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about magazines where we met professionally. How did you get your start in the industry and is it something that you'd always wanted to do? I, look, I'd always loved writing. I'd always liked funny writing. And uh, as shameful as this is, my first job in magazines straight out of university was for Penthouse magazine. (laughs) One of the P's. One of the P's. (laughs) And um, I was the copy editor for Penthouse magazine, which doesn't, it sounds like a contradiction in terms, but there were words. (laughs) And uh, one of the crazy things about it was we we used to buy in all these, because uh, they used to buy in photographs of these, these young ladies from all over the world. And for some reason, my editor at the time, the late, great Phil Abraham, decided that we had to make these young ladies more relatable to our readers. And we, we, they, were, they were going to be made more relatable, not by the fact that they had not a stitch of clothing on, but by the fact that we had to make up little biographies for them. Right. So you'd get these photos, right? And they were these were not modest photos. These were kind of, you know, like right up there with medical intervention photos. And my job was to write maybe 200 words about this fictional character. So <laughs> she would become Elise uh, from Mildura. Uh, she liked rock climbing and ACDC and uh, was, was, uh, was into the Impressionist paintings. And all off the top of my head. And then the crazy thing is we'd get letters a few months later from uh, readers going, could you please pass on my details to Elise because we've got so much in common. <laughs> so, David, I have to tell you at this point, this interview has already gone in directions I didn't really anticipate it well, going. Yeah, yeah well, I, I, honesty, just telling you what happened, I was there. And then I went to women's magazines like Clio and Cosmo. 
right. where where things were a lot tamer. But uh, <laughs> I was usually the only guy on staff, and that was the best thing because I learned how to be a, a, a really much better partner and husband and man generally because women talk about their relationships far more openly with their work colleagues than men do. So I heard about, you know, the mistakes other men were making, put it in the filing cabinet, like, oh, okay, uh, that, that's something I wouldn't do. I also learned there was such a thing as good flowers and bad flowers to give your partner. <laughs> yes, it's true. There is good thing. Good thing. <laughs> gerberas, apparently, I don't know who gerberas pissed off, but they pissed off someone. <laughs> You'll never see a gerber never, no in gerber, No, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and baby's breath also. I think baby's breath now on probation again. It but is, for a yeah. while there... No, no baby's breath. No, definitely not. Only to be pinned in hair in 1980s weddings and never seen again for, Absolutely. what, 30 you know, years? Yeah. To, you know what? Now. Charlene from Neighbours killed it. It was just too <laughs> much. Kylie, too much baby's breath in the hair. Yes. And I actually think we touched on baby's breath in an unsung icons on many, Absolutely. many years Yeah, ago. yeah. There are right. flowers that are allowed and flowers that are definitely not allowed. Definitely not. I do want to open up a, a shop that uh, that just specialises in Thalianopsis and call it Totes Orcs. <laughs> it can't fail. It can't fail. <laughs> I, I've got a million business ideas just predicated on puns. So, oh, like this one. Can I share you one more? Yeah, one more a please. pop-up shop that only sells toasters. <laughs> don't, be I love ste- it. don't be stealing my ideas no, out there in Podland. Not. <laughs> so back to publishing. What decade was that when you were at the women's magazines? Was oh, that, that was, was, uh, it was yeah, the early nineteen nineties. Yeah, like so in, in the in the heyday. Total heyday. Know? So, do you have a, f- a favorite memory or time of magazines? Like, was there a, a time you look back on and think that, that was the one? Like, that was just the greatest period. I had a great uh, time where I got to work on a magazine called Madison. And we started Madison from the ground up. It was an entirely new project. So that was very rewarding creatively because we didn't have to go, well, this is how we've done things in the past. Mm. So I really enjoyed that period uh, and and working with very inspiring editors at the time and and just having that open palette to work from and saying, what is the tone of this thing going to be? What what is it going to look like? What is it going to sound like? I really, really enjoyed that. I also got to work with some of the real major characters of publishing, like Nene King back in the day at, you know, Woman's Day and Woman's Weekly. And uh, that, that was fascinating to see close up. Tell us about Nene. What was a favourite memory of Nene at the time? Well, she was um, just larger than life. And uh, she swore like a trooper and was just, it was like going to work every day but then by 10:30 it was like being in a pub at a pub <laughs> after happy hour with your favorite drunken auntie and she was just a scream if she liked you I think it's fair to say that publishing has changed a lot over the course of the last what 20 years Oh absolutely It's a totally different place now oh, isn't it and those some characters... of the things that that people got away with <laughs> Back in the day, I was once made redundant by someone having a pedicure. <laughs> I can't name names, but it happened. Come on, tell us how it was. Can't do it. <laughs> David, you're also a very talented published author with seven, I believe, Correct. titles to your name. Um, can you take me back to the time when you first put pen to paper, like writing to write a book, this larger tome? Um, what was it that drove you to do that? Um, 
I've always been a kid who loved writing, uh, so much so that I, tr- I try to girl- get uh, girls to pash me by writing them poetry. <laughs> And some of them held my hand senseless as a result. <laughs> uh, but the first book was about Australian comedy. And I always have loved stand-up. Uh, and uh, there wasn't anything that celebrated this amazing Australian sense of humour that we have and, and the great performers who have made us who we are comedically. Uh, so that was the first project I did in book form with, with my co-author, Rob Johnson. And it was really lovely because we did it in 1999 when a lot of the old vaudeville people were really just, there were only a few left and not many of them had the opportunity to share their memories. Uh, We even got to to speak with people like Graham Kennedy and that was a great great privilege, even though he did the whole interview by fax. (laughs) Are you serious? I don't know if that counts as speaking to. (laughs) We'll take it. (laughs) We'll take it, definitely. Um, And then you had a travel memoir, Are We There Yet?, published in 2004, and you followed it up with a few years later with from Russia with lunch. Correct. Can you tell me about that style of writing and what drove you to share your own stories in print that way? I've always loved funny writing and funny travelogues especially. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Bill Bryson and uh, so much so that many years ago when he was walking down uh, New South Head Road in Edgecliff in Sydney, I saw him walking along just on his own and pulled my car over into a bus lane Parked, ran up to him and blurted out, I'm a sub-editor who likes writing funny articles too. You're my hero. And this poor man looked quite afraid at the time. <laughs> uh, but following his uh, his example, I wrote these two books. One was about, about South Africa and going to the, all the places I went to as a kid and then going back uh, after the transition to democracy. Uh, did 10,000 Ks on the road in about oh, six weeks and then proposed to Jenny at the end of it. And it was oh, a wow. farewell to yeah. my father and a acknowledgement of the new section of my life, which was just starting. And then from Russia with lunch, went a generation back and I went to Lithuania, where both sets of my grandparents came from to see if I would feel at any way at home and a connection with the place. And I certainly did. And it was um, just when, when the Baltic states were in that transition from being ex-communist states to rapaciously gorging themselves on all things consumerist. Uh, so you'd see ladies uh, in fields in gumboots and, and, the, and the headscarves uh, on potatoes liking Instagram at the same time. So it was, <laughs> it was, it was fascinating. And when you look back at all those published uh, works, do you have a favourite or is there one I that you're most proud of? I think Are We There Yet is, is the one that uh, is, is most personal for me. And uh, especially because it just took so many other aspects of my life uh, into into exam into into the mix, but um, my favourite project always the one I'm I'm working on at the moment, and yeah. whether that's a stand-up show or a book or or, or an article. Yeah, but, and I suspect that you've definitely got another book or two in you as well. Have you got any ideas brewing at the moment? I do. I, I have a, lo- a fiction a fictional love story set on Robben Island. Uh, which tangentially involves the late great Nelson Mandela in it. Oh wow, this is not what I expected at all. Yeah, that's the that, that that's the next project, and uh, You're which a man which uh, full of surprises. Well, I think we need more love stories. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Um, So I'd like to take you now to your other career, and I think this one is really your passion, isn't it? And that is stand up 
as stand-up comedian Absolutely. or MC as well. Mm. Um, and I wanted to quote my favourite review of a comedy which from your website, mm. which was Helen Razor for the Age who said, a comic whom your mother would love. <laughs> and I really love that line because I've seen you perform a few times and I have to agree, my review, and you have my permission to put this on your website because I'm you. a very Thanks, important Sarah. person who mm-hmm. everybody wants to hear from. Um, I think you are a kind and genuinely funny human being and your shows feel really positive and it's comedy that really lifts people up and doesn't drag people down and it leaves them smiling, smirking maybe. Um, and you just seem to really enjoy being on stage. Is that the case? Or Absolutely. Are you I, lo- <laughs> I love inside? the work. No, <laughs> I love the work. And uh, again, like like the Bill Bryson example, I, I had an incredible mentor slash example. Uh, I went to university with Adam Hills, who, who hosts The Last Leg on ABC TV and Speaks and Specs before that. We're very close friends. In fact, he's been my best man twice. Can't ask for more than that from a mate. And um, watching him do stand-up was something that was profoundly influential for me with the idea that everyone should leave the venue feeling better than they did when they walked into the venue. And the idea that it's, for me, everyone has their own style. But for me, I would rather be a warm comic than a cool comic Mm. and make it inclusive. And I think you can find everyone's level by doing that. And and I don't like the idea that there would have to be a victim for for a joke. Uh, The writing can be better than that and uh, operate on a a higher plane for me. Uh, I enjoy the friendliness of a show and chatting to people afterwards. and, uh, and some of the best interactions have happened that way and that have subsequently made it into later shows. Uh, one of my favourite heckles of all time was a, I was, was a bloke on a cruise ship who out of the darkness, because you can only see the first three rows, out of the darkness I heard a voice go, hey, mate, do you know Tantra? And I stopped and I went, do I know Tantra? No, why? He went, because you're going on a bit long. And I thought, what a lovely, lovely, what a lovely way to make your point. Well, I've been to your shows, David, and and I think that that's definitely true. Like I can see exactly what you're describing in your style of comedy. I've tried to book you for jobs at the magazine and been turned down because you've actually been booked up on a cruise ship. So can you talk us through that? How did oh, you end up on the cruise ship? Then? Well, the cruise, cruising as an industry is growing hugely in Australia. And uh, my agent called me one day and said, are you, are you up for doing cruise boats? And I said, I don't know. He said, they pay in US dollars. I said, absolutely, sign me up. <laughs> and uh, cruise, cruising is fun. I really, I really enjoy it because people are there for a good time. Uh, you get maybe three or four hundred people in the theatre, some of whom have seen stand-up before, some of whom haven't, but all of whom are on holiday and have been drinking solidly since midday. And nothing says comedy better than those two factors combined. <laughs> and it's it's something I really do enjoy. I've got, gotten to see incredible parts of the world, uh, appreciated Australia's own landscapes more as a result, and... Uh, I did. Weirdly enough, you see people who you don't expect to see. Pauline Hanson was on board once. No. Yes. And, um, did you make her the butt of any jokes? No, I did didn't. I did. I resisted. My, so Jenny was on the cruise with me. And, um, I, and a cruise boat's like a small floating village. You see everyone wandering about. So Pauline was on and I saw her nudge Jenny and I went, look at that. 
this is going to be fantastic. This, <laughs> this is a gift to a comedian. And Jenny, being the nicer person than I am, said, look, this is just someone on holiday. Just leave her alone. Just let her have her holiday. And I agreed. It was a good point. But I, I, about four minutes into my show, Pauline had heard my second joke and she got up and walked out. And she was close to the front. So everybody watched her walk out and everyone turned back to me. And, and, and it was a heavy expectation hanging in the air and I said wow folks who'd have thought you me and Pauline Hansen would have all been boat people one day <laughs> oh that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> I love it um your last show followed a huge health challenge mm-hmm. um that you've been facing over the last few years when at age 48 you were diagnosed with tonsillar cancer did I say that correctly? Correct. Rhymes with consular. <laughs> you wrote a fantastic piece for GEQ that made me laugh and cry, um, which I think is a sign of some truly great writing, and I'll share it in the show notes so people can read it. Um, how has this diagnosis changed you as a person? It has in some ways, but not really profound ways. It's a, it's a very strange thing uh, when you get diagnosed with cancer is that People think you're going to be a lot wiser and more profound as a result. And I'm not. I'm <laughs> the same silly man, child. I'm just way a bit less. Yeah, and that makes me really happy. It's, <laughs> it's, I didn't come away with any greater wisdom or, or uh, uh, any kind of understanding of how the universe works. Um, it's helped me distill that you don't know when it's all going to be over, so have fun right now. I guess that's the only thing that I've come away with that knowing. I've always been about the jokes and the laughter, but this that kind of sharpened the focus for me. And uh, it also uh, make, it does make you grateful for what you've got because anyone who's done time on a cancer ward will know that you're, you're surrounded by, as I was, uh, people often saying goodbye to one another. And uh, it made me realise all the things that I do have in my life to be grateful for. Even even getting cancer, I was grateful for the fact that the kind of cancer I got was very treatable. Mm. And uh, we, we're having some incredible medical science available to us now. It's not the death sentence it used to be. And I really enjoyed in that article, and you've told me about it since, uh, hearing that on the ward you were probably the silliest cancer patient that they oh, had. Ab- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, you have to find you have to find the fun in in certain things. Um, I uh, oh, I'm going to use a I'm going to use a phrase that I can guarantee you has never been used on this podcast before, <laughs> but uh, they do something. Uh, in in hospitals called anal swabbing. <laughs> That's right, listeners, anal swabbing, and it sounds like exactly what it is, right? And uh, what I asked the nurse why why they were doing this, and they said we do anal swabs to uh, to ensure that infection doesn't spread around the intensive care unit. And I said, if there wasn't one bloke running around the intensive care unit sticking his finger in everyone's bums, maybe infection wouldn't spread around the intensive care unit and you wouldn't have to do anal swabs. And this is why I love nurses so much. There I was having my whinge about this and she said, but we don't do anal swabs at this hospital. And I never saw the bloke again. (laughs) But he did swipe right, so fingers crossed. (laughs) 
So this experience did inspire a show, which I've mentioned. Yes, uh, the show, Finding, the Chemo, which Finding actually, Chemo. I actually couldn't get tickets to. Um, and the name of that show, again, illustrates your love of a good pun. Perhaps <laughs> your background as a sub-editor coming into play there. Absolutely. Always got to have a pun. Um, the uh, the show was called, as you say, Finding Chemo. And the next one's going to be called Remission Impossible. <laughs> I love it. And I have to get a ticket to that one. I think last time it just got a bit too hard, but it was, of course, it sold out. I think all of us just really wanted to see you back on stage. It was. A, it had experience. the most wonderful, wonderful response to it. Uh, the great thing was, as, as as I do with all my shows, nurses, nurses get in free to any show I do and uh, they just have to show their pass. Um, and that goes for club dates as well, if any of your listeners uh, work in health and want to come see a show. Uh, and nurses, for, for, for two reasons. For the first reason, I'm immensely grateful to them. And uh, secondly, uh, nurses are the best audiences on the planet because nurses have seen the best and worst of humanity and have the darkest sense of humor because that's <laughs> how they cope with things. And there, there are things that nurses will laugh at that everyone else won't. And I need those people. <laughs> They're wonderful, aren't they? I think anybody, if you, I, I had had a very lucky life health wise, and it wasn't until I had my children that I came, you know, went into a hospital, and you realise the nurses are the ones who are doing everything. They're the ones with the expertise and they're the ones who are there giving the face time with the patients. They're just incredible human beings. They are. And um, the fact that they work so hard under such tough conditions is just incredible. And the fact that they have a sense of humour throughout all of that mm. is, is just that they, 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 they're all uh, prize winners in my book and they should be paid more. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, David, in the HP studio. It's been a joy to have you in here and get a little taste of all the things that is all the things that you do beyond our unsung icons. Well, page. thank you for having me, and uh, and I love doing the page. is one of my favourite things I've ever done. <laughs> well, that's a wrap for the Daily Home Edit. Please rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 